Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, and I'll be reading um, from Ephesians chapter 1. It's great. It is great to be with you. I drove this morning in from the Berkshires, where I live in North Adams, um, saw the sunrise, and had the forecast of the great heat, and thought, oh gosh, we're going to really boil today. Um, better keep this sermon down to 10 minutes. So I didn't bring my notes up to the podium with me, and oftentimes that's a good sign. I don't feel compelled. But we open the Word of God together this morning, and this is really the basis for our faith, the foundation of, of all that we hold dear. From it, we hear the words of God speak to us, minister to our hearts. And I'd like you to think today, with me today about God's mercy and his grace to us. As we were singing and preparing our hearts, I don't know about you, but I was feeling pretty inadequate. I'm thinking of all, we're singing about our sins and God's mercy. And I'm reminded of just how inadequate I am to come before him the mighty God who is holy and righteous and pure. And yet we sing of a God who is merciful, a God who is gracious, who actually welcomes us into his presence and calls us children, his children. The Apostle Paul wants to introduce us, as he did the Ephesian Christians back in the day, to a God of mercy and grace. And we read from Ephesians chapter 2, and we heard that, yes, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which we formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked in that way, far from God. But then we read of God's mercy. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love toward us, drew us to himself and made us his children. So this, this morning, I'd like us to focus on what it's like now as children of God. What do we have to revel in? What should make us smile? What should get us up in the morning? What should give us that hope, that light on the distance that keeps us pressing forward in a world that is quite oppressive in so many ways? What gives Christians a different perspective? And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Having predestined us to, re, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he made us accepted, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I'd like to stop there, and that's as far as I'm going to get today. But he goes on and on in this chapter, and he tells us just about the amazing grace 
that has saved us. And I'd like us to think about this passage in light of our own experience. First, he tells us that he is the author of this letter. He is the apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle simply means sent one. He is God's messenger boy. And he has the awesome message from God to deliver to his people. And he does so by the will of God. It was not Paul's desire to serve God this way. He thought that he was serving God when he was a persecutor of the church. He chased after Christians with letters in his hands to drag them back to Jerusalem and bring them to trial because he felt like they were a cult that needed to be put down. And it was on his way to Damascus, you may recall that Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ, met him and said, Saul, Saul, that's what he called him before his conversion, why are you persecuting me? Saul falls on his face, blind before the Lord, this great light shining, and he says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, Christ takes very personally when his kids are persecuted. Persecuting his children is like persecuting himself. And he takes Paul, this one who was so opposed to the gospel, and he shows the rest of the world what he can do with one who is against him, opposed to him, how his grace and mercy can turn him completely around. Has his grace and mercy turned you around? It has me, you know, I came to Christ when I was 12, but I know the road I was on. I might have been young, but I knew that I was a sinner. Christ's grace turned me around and he drew me to himself. And he gave me his spirit and he changed me from within. And I know that's your experience too, if you know Christ as your savior. It's a miraculous experience, a conversion of the heart that makes a huge difference in life. Paul experienced that, and so now he's on a mission by the will of God. This is not his own plan, but God's. And he says, I am writing to you the saints who are at Ephesus. I'd like to pause there because Ephesus was a port city. It was a commercial port city in Macedonia, and it was probably the most prominent city of its kind. And it housed the shrine of Diana, or Artemis, as the Greeks called her. She was the goddess of fertility. Um, she, was, she was the goddess of the harvest. And they depended on her. And people came all from all over the place to worship Diana in Ephesus. And so these people that he's writing to were once really pagan worshipers. They were worshiping this goddess, Diana. And if you'll perhaps recall, there was an incident of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, in chapter 19 of Acts, where he's preaching the gospel in Ephesus and people are coming to faith in Jesus. And they're turning from Artemis and they're coming to faith in Jesus and there's a church, a gathering of people that's starting to take place in Ephesus. And, and some, like this guy Demetrius, 
are getting all upset, bent out of shape because their profits are going down. They were silversmiths and they were making these little icons of Artemis and trying to sell them to people and nobody would buy them because everyone was coming to faith in Jesus. And so a big uproar takes place in Ephesus and Paul goes through a great persecution. So these people of Ephesus are in some ways a lot like us and the culture in which we live. People are worshiping all kinds of other things other than Christ. And yet when the gospel comes, it is the power of God unto salvation. People come to faith in Jesus because this is what Jesus is doing in the world today. He is bringing people to himself one person at a time. And he's changing us from within. And he's giving us his spirit, a spirit of love and peace and grace, a spirit of hope. He's giving us the hope of salvation. He did it there, he's been doing it ever since, and he's doing it in our culture today. It doesn't matter how difficult it appears. We're just co-laboring with Christ. We're just like walking alongside him to do his thing. This is the work of Christ in the world. He says, to the saints who are at Ephesus. And I love this word, saints. He's referring to them as saints. Do you know that if you put your faith in Jesus that you're a saint? You know, you say, well, I'm not like St. Teresa, come on, or St. Augustine, or some of these people that have been venerated by the church. No, you are a saint in the most technical terms, according to the Apostle Paul. Saint simply means one who has been made holy, and holy simply means that you have been set apart for God's purposes now. You see, no, not only are you saved when you come to Christ from your sins and from hell and judgment, but now you're set apart for him, you're his child. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're the place where God dwells. You're the holy sanctuary. It's not a building made by hands. It's not an, an inner circle, it's your body, it's you. You are the place where God has taken up residence and wants to live out his life. You're his children, you're his saints. And then he tells us, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I think that it's important for us to note that God wants us to live as though his grace is always there for us. Yes, I'm a sinner, as we've sung this morning, but his mercy is greater. Yes, I am weak, but in my weakness, his grace is made perfected. His strength is seen. You can count on God's grace, my friends, day by day, moment by moment because he promises never to leave us or forsake us. And so we have the grace of God that's been given to us and the peace of God that guards us. What does this world need more than anything? We need peace, right? We need peace within, we need peace without. 
The Bible says, as Paul is going to write in, the chap in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Christ himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. He made peace when we were enemies, peace between us and God. He is the one who comes in and gives our hearts rest and peace from the troubles of this world, from sin that reigns within. He is the one who gives us peace, and so we can rest in him. And so what does he tell us that we have in Christ? He's going to begin to expound just all that God has done for us. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you know that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ? Now you might say, okay, what does that mean? Is that like bitcoins? You know, you don't quite know what they are. You know, they're out there, but who knows what they are, you know? Is that real spiritual blessings? I need something tangible. I need something that I can see, that I can feel, that, that I can use right now. And, and yes, you can use the spiritual blessings God has given you. They're not always for right now, but they are for right now, right? Because when you come to God through Jesus Christ, you experience the peace of God, knowing that your sins are completely forgiven, that now you belong to him, that you have the hope of heaven. He promises to give us his Holy Spirit to live and to dwell within us. He shows us that one day he's going to come back for us as he has promised. We're going to see him. We're going to walk with him. We're going to be with him throughout eternity. This is the hope of the believer. These are all spiritual blessings. And he's going to expound on these as we go through Ephesians chapter 1, which we won't get through all today. But as you read this, dwell on the fact that these blessings belong to you. Not because you're worthy, but because he's gracious and kind and he loves us. He says, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Do you know that if you're a child of God, you've accepted Jesus as your savior this morning, that he knew you before the foundation of the world, that, that even before anything here materially was created, that he knew you personally. That's, that's hard to fathom, isn't it? I used to live in Chicago, and sometimes I occasionally take someone up in the Hancock Tower, 103rd floor, and we'd look down and I'd say, just look at those people down there. They look like little ants. And sometimes I'd ponder and think, Could, is God really concerned about that little ant down there? That person. That, that person has got a life, that's got a mind, that's got a world, who sometimes thinks that they're the only person in the world. Yes, God is concerned about every individual because we're created in his image. 
and he's imparted to us his spirit. And he knew us before time began, that we would be here together today, that we would serve alongside one another for his kingdom, that we would struggle together. In this culture, in this day and age, we are here, not by accident, but because he knew us and he drew us to himself. This is a very humbling reality because if we ever get the idea that we were clever enough to choose God and choose Christ, we really need to get over it. You know, there was nothing that drew me to him except him. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. We are drawn by God to Jesus, and he shows us himself in his Son. The extent of his love and his sacrifice for us, taking our sins upon himself and dying in our place on the cross so that we might have eternal life. That is the ultimate demonstration of love. That's all him. And he knew you before time began. And he made you his own. And then he says, predestining us, predestining us to adoption as sons and daughters. You're adopted. I'm adopted. The only real son is Jesus, right? He's the, he's the real son of God, the beloved son of God. But we're adoptees, and, and that has a special ring to it also, because that means that I was, you were orphans, and we were far away from him, and we were without a father of sorts. And he came in, and he deliberately selected and chose us for himself. And he made us his own. An adopted child has a lot of privileges. And those privileges are the same as the natural born, right? And the parents of the adopted child take great pain to make that child feel like they're just part of the family in every way. And that's what God has done for us. So much so that now he says to us, we can call him daddy in the most intimate terms. This is the kind of relationship that our father wants to have with us. So we crawl up on his lap and we say, Daddy, I'm here. I have problems I can't deal with. Stresses that are beyond me. Questions I can't answer. Conflicts I can't resolve. And we pour out our hearts to our heavenly father. And he is there. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Are you that child who asks, who crawls up on his father's lap and says, I need you, Lord. I can't do life without you. It's just not working. Because when you do, the father is responsive. He's attentive. He's always there. He's not outworking. He's not doing something else. He is an attentive father who not only cares but has infinite power at his disposal to do whatever we have asked for according to his will. What a great God we have. We are his children adopted into his family. 
Why has he done this? Why has God done this for us? Why is it all about him? Because he wants a relationship with us. Friends, this is all about a relationship with God. This is not religion. This is not how many times we can bow down or how good we can become or what kind of things we can do to show God that we're so sorry for our sins. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We come broken and he heals us. We come sinful and he forgives us all because of the work of Christ. Have you received him? Have you drawn near to him today, recently? And have you shared with him your heart and said, Lord, I can't do life apart from you, but I thank you that you have blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Lord, I don't have the right to be depressed and sad and downcast when you have done so much for me. Help me to lift my eyes and to see you for who you are and understand what you have done for me. Friends, you have a bright future. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have everything to smile about today. You have a message that needs to be shared. You have a community of people who are lost and dying without Christ. He has put you here, known you before time began, set you apart for himself, and now he wants to use you to reach this community, your neighbors, the person right next to you, in your apartment, maybe your own family member, for Christ. Use the word of God because it is the only source of truth that's, that's absolutely sure and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for us so that we might be children of God and receive his hope. And watch how God works in the lives of those you share with. I spent some time with a friend this this week, uh, I was in a conference down in Atlanta, and it was a fellow that I had met. I had met in um, as an eighth grade homeroom back in Michigan, and he was F and I was D in the alphabet, so we sat right next to each other. And I I got to know Mike. Um, he was he became my fishing partner. He was just a little guy. I was a little taller for my age and uh, so we would go fishing together sometimes I'd carry him on my back to get across the, the creek to the other side and um, we soon became really close pals and it wasn't long after um, Mike and I became friends that his family went through a very troubling time and uh, his parents divorced but it was a very painful experience for him and because he was my close friend I felt his pain, and I went through that with him. Mike was from a Catholic background, had gone to Catholic school up until eighth grade, and had had some difficult experiences. Um, and so he was a little turned off to religion and this whole thing about God. So Mike and I just hung out together and spent time together. And eventually, 
I began to share my faith with him, how he could know Christ as his savior. Mike accepted Christ as his, as his Lord and Savior. And um, we went, walked through the divorce together. We spent time. We continued through junior high and high school together, uh, ran track and did some things, uh, continued fishing. Went to different colleges, but we kept in touch, sometimes better, more often than, than other times. But Mike moved down to Atlanta and took a job with, with, a, with a cable company, became the vice president of a large cable company, and did very well. He was, uh, he was very uh, successful. Well, Mike has just recently retired, and we've continued to keep in touch all these years. Mike has affected a lot of lives in his own testimony for Christ. His own story has spread to others. My friends, the point is you don't know who you're going to influence. There might be just like one little Mike Fisher in your life, one, one person that you touch, this little guy that eventually becomes the vice president of a large company and has a great impact on a lot of people for Christ. You don't know who you're going to influence. Just reach out and share with them the good news of what God has done for you. And watch how God uses you. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you might say, well, what do I need to do to really be ready for Christ? It's simply this. Know that you're a sinner. And that without Christ, you can do nothing. In fact, we'll all stand before God one day. And if we haven't received Christ as our Savior, we will be judged on the basis of our own works. And I don't know about you, but that's a scary anticipation for me. I don't want to be judged on the basis of my works. But if you, by faith, accept what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, that he died there in my place and took my sins upon himself so that I wouldn't have to pay the penalty and I receive him into my heart and life, then the promise of God is that you'll be born again, anew, within, a spiritual rebirth that you'll be given the gift of eternal life, that all your sins are forgiven, that you have a hope of heaven. If you're here today and you have never done that, you say, how do I do that? Do I have to come forward or, you know, say a certain prayer? Not really. This is about a relationship between you and God. In the quietness of your own heart, all you say is, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I thank you that Jesus died for me. Come into my heart. Be my savior. I give myself to you. I want to be one who's set apart for you. I want to be one who anticipates your return. I want to have peace with God in this relationship with you as my father daily, enjoying this presence and your provision. You can have that today by just receiving him as your savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. 
We ask, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that you would draw us into a closer relationship with yourself. We thank you for what you have done for us. And as we remember what you have done for us, Lord, we pray that our hearts would just sing your praise. I thank you for every person here. And I pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.